So, after a small technological issue, we're starting again. Us millennials and technology don't mix. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Macy. I'm here with Christine, Mike, and Jeremy, my respective friends, to talk about our mutual experience with technology in the classroom. Thus far, um, not so good, apparently. <laughs> our credentials are our attempt at an hour podcast previous. And, um, great my, conversation. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. It was wonderful. I wish we could get it. Yeah, my husband, it. Jeremy, who, um, alongside Mike, spent most of their education in the public school system here in the United States. I, who spent first through seventh grade in pri- private school, then mm. had some... Uh, public school education, and then my best friend, Christine, who grew up in Latvia and then became a foreign exchange student here in the United States, roughly senior year of high school. Um, So to open up our conversation that will hopefully go a little faster this time, because we found out that Anchor has a 60-minute time limit. And then deletes it. (laughs) And then deletes the problem. Uh, First, we'll talk about our experiences with technology in school when we were students. Um, what you liked and disliked. Um, I would like, I guess, to bring up that we at the private school really didn't have much more than a overhead projector um, for most of elementary school. We had a computer lab that had 25 computers in it. Um, and then in sixth grade, like the big fancy thing was that you every student had a computer. Then once you got into seventh grade, like at their desk, it was you know old school. Even at that time, they were old computers. Uh, and then by the time you reach seventh grade, that was gone too. Back to just computer labs. Um, and then when I went to public school, it was a lot more like Jeremy and Mike's experience as well. Uh, at say uh, throughout my trip in my academic career, uh, technology was not that big of a thing. Uh, the high like the most technologically advanced form of storage was a flash drive, which was rare, and it was mostly utilized through uh, floppy disks. Uh, in up until about fifth grade, the only real technology we had was the computer lab, and in sixth grade, we got the single smart board, which for the vast majority of my academic career up until college, nobody knew how to use, and the only time you ever got. The only time it ever really saw use was as a permanent fixture for a overhead projector or to reward the good children with the ability to calibrate it. Um, pretty much the same experience for me in college, or in, not college, but growing up in, in school. Um, the main thing that I can recall, aside from like you know having to take typing courses, which I think we were one of the first generations to, you know, have that on a computer, obviously, before that, you had, like, typewriters where you learned to type, but um, in shop class, we were able to use our CAD software to kind of get a visual representation and the dimensions of the project we were going to build in woodworking class, and it was super cool to be able to adjust that before, you know, cutting our first piece of wood and really being able to optimize the construction of the project. Christine, what about you? Yeah, so um, we had, similarly to you guys, computer labs. I think um, most schools that I attended, um, I attended two different um, districts, if you will, um, never had more than one computer lab, which included about 30 computers for the entire school, because the schools were a lot smaller. Um, and it was a really big deal. They were very expensive. Um, we didn't have um, use for the computers until probably fifth grade or so. And that was to your guys' point of like ty- typing. I remember like drawing and paint. Um, now, my experience with a computer at home was a little bit different because um, my family on their own business and they had bought a computer for like accounting and business purposes but at night time I could like play games on it and I'd like play you know Grand Theft Auto and like, <laughs> this little snake game and all this other, all this other stuff so um yeah so 
And I think I didn't. We had smartboards too, but not until I was in high school. And to your point, nobody really knew how to use them. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes we wrote on them, but most we mostly we just used them to play Jeopardy to review for tests. Yeah, which I think they've kind of. I don't know. I don't even feel like the smart board has expanded as much. I will say the teacher I observed used it a little bit more, like for its purposes of like having students write their answers on it and um, using it as like a secondary. I don't know. It, they really haven't changed the way they use them very much, no. honestly. I, I mean, um, even in when we, even in most of my classes in co- at college level, most of the teachers are just like, yeah, no, we're not even going to bother with this. I had one teacher just flat out refuse. All he did was use the whiteboards to either side and, uh, because nine times out of ten, the darn things would just break. Yeah. They weren't worth maintaining. Which I think is a technology um, that... You know, that's we were the generation where technology was expanding very, very quickly. Um, so there was, of course, going to be your things that were very successful and the things that very much did not succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think that it's important to look at all those things. Um, we do have very similar backgrounds on where the technology lied. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about was, um, well, I, I do think it's important to talk about the technology that is used to help assist people that are learning English as a second language or, um, you know, really us to learning English as a whole, um, do we think that there are um, technologies that will help with that today versus beforehand? Um, I know that earlier I had mentioned this, so I think as knowing that English is my second language, um, it was really important to have, um, I think I learned the most and what was the most impactful was the audible learning. And we um, had throughout the course of um, the books that we had in the workbooks, there was always like an accompanying CD that the teacher would play and there would be a dialogue. And in the dialogue, you'd have to understand what they were saying and you'd have to then either um, practice it with your classmate or then go through like row by row speak out the dialogue to really work on your dialect and pronunciation and knowing what the words mean or you had to have to construct your own dialogue there's a lot of just dialogue based learning so I think something that's interesting and something that's aided in my learning um, before a year or two before I came to the U.S. that was just when YouTube became bigger um, and you know content became more accessible you could rent movies um, and so you know entertainment wasn't um, dubbed or anything like that so I was learning a lot more firsthand um, just by listening and uh, now like my niece knows three languages because you know her native spoken language at home is Latvian and then she's learned Russian based on just consuming content on the internet and then having um, her classmates um, also be native speakers and then she's learned English um, for similar purposes. So I think just having access to, you know, Peppa the Pig on YouTube has really been helpful for her at an early age because by age five, she was fluent in three languages. Um, I'm all for free. I mean, you know, free internet payments aside. But I mean like, and yeah, no, like that's honest to God amazing because even in high school level language courses, which it unfortunately is as far as I got and I never even took it that seriously, I, we were even told by our teachers, like, yeah, no, like this, say what you're learning in this class is real good as a ba- as basic level stuff, but you're not never actually going to be fluent or able to actually really speak it unless you just go over there and live for an extended period. And like, like with the the proliferation of things like YouTube, like that's not necessarily a requirement anymore because mm-hmm. you can see, like you can open up a video and see the language alive. Yeah, you're immersed in it. Yeah. yeah. Like yep. it, that's like thinking on that, like that is cool. Yeah. And that's not something that we could have achieved. Well, when and we were I kids. remember being like, so watching movies, the, well, first of all, I was taught British English versus American English. So there are some distinct differences. But even in the movies, there were words that I, like the word vehicle, 
I remember struggling with because I had no idea what that meant. And I remember that I had to Google it and vehicle is not necessarily a thing. It's a group of things. Vehicle can mean a lot, like it, it, it's a word with it, but like it's not the same as car because bicycle can be a vehicle of transport just as much as a car can. And yeah. so I think um, having been exposed to words I did not know, I was still learning because that was live language at that time. And so I think with um, like videos and things like that, you are immersed in language that's speaking, spoken currently or not like the most proper way of what you think that ought to be taught. What's more like le- real there's living. There's like formal learning yeah. and then there's yeah. actual conversation yeah. on the daily. Yeah. Which I do think that there are apps nowadays, um, like Babbel or Duolingo, um, which I spoke earlier about. Duolingo has a little bit of trouble with the dialogue, but stuff like Babbel is supposed to kind of help that, um, which actually segues us nicely into just online learning as a general concept. Um, with this pandemic being such a prevalent thing in our life, we're looking at whether or not kids should be learning strictly online, whether going back to school is the good option. Um, And I do think it's an interesting conversation to know what we think, you know, is online learning our future? Is it not? What struggles would come from that? I think with, you know, having, living in a world that's adapting, you know, I in college always opted not to take online courses because I, felt like I learned from the teacher much more um, through storytelling and through examples and the you know it was just the delivery of content of things that I needed to learn um, were for the most part most of the time much more valuable to me than just doing it at my own pace or having it be online and having minimal interaction but I think as we are tasked with much more research at work and critical thinking I think it can totally be done and I spoke earlier how you know babies and toddlers are learning basic skills of shapes and colors and numbers on tablets and they're learning things granted there's all kinds of research on how that's affecting people's brains but and development as a whole but it's proven that we have used and can use technology as a really helpful tool for learning. So I think um, there's room for both, but I definitely think that online learning and interaction deserves a whole lot more credit than it's gotten Mm. before this point Um, and its effectiveness, because I think people were quick to judge on the lack of quality, but I think there's, we're actually restructuring how we use time. We're restructuring on, efficiency and effectiveness um i mean i'm just speaking from like a work experience but learn you know i had to learn microsoft teams all of a sudden when we weren't used to using it which all of us that used aim were like oh this is normal (laughs) (laughs) right but it's i think like as we're having to adapt um it's i think there's there's a lot more tools that are available to us than we think and um a lot more opportunity to stay connected and be informed and just be better at learning. I think it'll definitely change the way the classroom looks. Um, I think that there are, like you say, room for both learning environments. I think that, you know, I know a lot of teachers that are working on making their virtual classroom a possibility right now and giving students the most um, classroom-like setting that they can online even though they're, whether it's in person or not in person this next semester, they don't know. Um, But I do think it's something that you have to look at what needs to be different for a, you know, second or third grader versus a high school student or a college student and, like, put a lot more learning into those. And, like, speaking of, like, accessibility, like, there's a matter that in a lot of ways that, going into this full online thing has helped a lot of students who would otherwise have issues, namely those on the autism spectrum, because having the advantage of being able to be remain in control of their environment allows them to actually focus on being educated. However, conversely, there are those students like myself 
who absolutely have never been able to function in a purely online capacity because it's just if it's out of sight it's immediately out of mind until it's too late too many distractions would you say like it's just easy I mean, to open up another tab and just go yeah, off yeah yeah it. i mean it's 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 just so easy just to never even do it yeah because i'm not physically there i don't have like if i'm not physically there i don't have to think about it and switching to an online system well that's like i've never had any success in online courses so Which, putting that on a child, they may or may not be able to have the self-control to focus. Yeah. You know? Whereas you kind of put them in the classroom, you almost force them to, also from peer pressure, all of my friends are paying attention and they're not able to talk back and but, forth, you know. But Which even is, then, you have those cases like, well, again, like me, even in that situ, even in those classes, I rarely, quote-unquote, paid attention. I was never the student who was sitting there enraptured by what the the teacher was saying at the front of the classroom. I was sitting there doodling or reading a book. I got top marks in almost every test other than math, but I never I never paid attention. Which is why at I all. think too never like, paid so do you think it really hurts you at all? I mean if you're still required to fill out those tests, I mean you didn't pay attention in class. Well it, there's a difference because when I was in those it, when I was physically in class, even though I wasn't quote unquote paying attention I was able to control my attention, like, because I've since discovered, like, oh, I have ADD. That, that's a thing. And it makes a lot of sense. Because I'm able to uh, put a lot of that focus there, I was still able to uh, take in all of that information. But with an, in online learning, I am not able to even get that because I don't see it. Like, I'm not in the environment and even getting any of that by osmosis because it's out of sight, it's out of mind. I'm not even opening it up to even look at anything. Well, and then you have and that's like, my issue. And, and, and that is a problem with being always online. But the issue is the infrastructure and the way our education system is set up, it's kind of one or the other. And it's we don't have enough funding or enough people involved or enough legislature to actually make it functional. Sorry, well, continuing on. Which is why I do think there's a lot of people that are looking <laughs> at the option of like, instead of having snow days, you would then transition to an online learning aspect. Oh, those poor students. Um, right? Like, <laughs> thank God. <laughs> but I think to... Um, that like to Jeremy's point about like the kids that have trouble focusing or like doing online courses and and being distracted and stepping away from it or being you know I I was taking music appreciation this semester as well online and we had to watch a um, concert online and it was not I mean I'm a classical good. music fan but it was not good. It wasn't um, classical music. Was it just the recording was bad? Like the equipment? No, it was just bad. It was just, it was was just, just bad. bad. And, and I wrote a paper, and I had to write a paper about it. And like, you know, I, I blatantly said in the paper, I said, it was easier for me, you know, when you go to a concert, even if you don't enjoy it, like you kind of have to sit there, right? And pay attention. Yeah. At least to some extent. And the music's like, right. you know, hitting you like a wave. But when you're in a, in a Google chrome window watching a live recording it's easy enough to just be like okay let me tab over and go to facebook and yeah. do whatever you know and so, so. not to interrupt but you know looking at it's not just the students that are impacted by this online learning it's also the teachers like mm -hmm. you know how do you create tests that are in such a way that's not just factual you know mm -hmm. like taking or, it and turning it into a way to test students and critical or, thinking yeah. or cheatable a, yeah mm -hmm. yeah Quizlet is a thing. Yeah, yeah, and that's hard, too, I know, for a lot of online teachers is to be able to do a test, yeah, that tests your critical thinking skills or um, your, you know, because trust me, they do not want to test your ability to Google. Yeah. You know, that's not their goal. Um, it is an important skill to have it in is. the world of today. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. but An ability to Google and make your own assessment based on not just copy-paste the first source you or first result you see yeah which actually assessments are a very good segue point to my next question 
So assessments are something that we talked about, um, the simulative and the formal, formative assessments. Um, so your assessments as you're going through the unit to make sure that the student is understanding them, which I find to be an interesting thing. Um, or no, those are the, hang on, let me look. Those are the formative, I believe. Um, because it was one that sounded backwards in my head that the summative are, is like the summary over all the lecture. Um, like a final versus an individual test? Or? Well, and like the way that they Form explained it, formative. Formative and cumulative? And then sum, summative. Oh. Um, yeah, summary. so the formative ass assessments are used continuously throughout the unit. Um, so it's like one of the, the ways that they talked about doing it was... Um, like on a scale of one to five, how well do you feel you're doing in this unit? And it's supposed to be as assessed throughout the unit, like as you're going, which I don't feel like I ever really got as a student, like knowing, like I guess occasionally I had a teacher that would like ask me like, do you understand this? And you were always afraid to raise your hand. Right. Like, does anyone have any questions? And you're like, I don't want to be the one child to raise the hand. Right, or be, you know, held out. So that that is something I think technology... Um, brings into light is a way to make them a little bit more anonymous um and then um but you still have to have the test at the end and so is there a way that technology that can be brought into the unit exams as well as the um along the way exams that would make them easier is that a good thing is bringing technology into tests a good Thing or are our standard papers and pens where we need to have exams? I think you can't stop this. I think the coronavirus has made us leap forward a lot faster than we would have normally. I would agree. Simply out of necessity. Simply yeah. out of necessity. I mean, yeah. it's it's entirely possible that as a end result of this, in the United States, we're going to abandon our primary education schedule entirely which is something we haven't been able to kick for the past 100 years or so, yeah. and go and expand into something much more typical for Europe or Asia, in which we're going to school all year with the same amount of time off just spread out throughout it all. And it makes it a little easier when you're at home and you just log in. And, yeah. You know, as a high school student, I mean, if you, you know... You force these high schools. There's plenty of studies where if school just started an hour later, yeah. you know, the student would be much more functional, retain more information. You know, if this is a strictly online thing, maybe the student can log in and watch the, the lecture or whatever whenever they get up and have had their breakfast and are focused now yeah. and ready to learn. Yeah. I mean, goodness sake, we have the technology and to do that just seen from the way... Twitch works. Yeah. Well, like, and I think like this brings up an interesting point about accountability because I think there's been so many studies done about the the one solution doesn't fit all as far as productivity mm -hmm. goes. Like the nine to five doesn't fit all people based on when they feel the most productive or energetic or whatever. Or occupation for that matter. Right. I mean, and so society. I society. Like culture. with students, I think so often, and this is an interesting point of having lived in two different cultures, I know that as a teenager, I was given a lot of responsibility for my decisions. And I was never, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I was never reprimanded for a decision I wouldn't have, like before I made a decision. Like I feel here sometimes it's like, well, if you go to this party, you are bad. Like it's not a choice. It's not a choice and consequences kind of situation. It's this like you do A because if you do A and B is bad. Like it's just very authoritative. Yeah, I mean no. Like, like no, like I'm I'm just it feels very authoritative type of like. Well. No, I mean, like, you're completely accurate. Like, that is a big part of American culture. It's very shame-based. Well, and so I think... It, and it's not but, even, like, the, the shame part I mean, so much, because the which goes into, like, a whole different segue. But yeah, I think yeah. when you look at... Like, if I'm a high school student, and if all of a sudden I'm given the accountability of you don't graduate unless you are able to hit certain marks, whatever those marks are, regardless of where you learn that content, that onus is on me 
to set my own learning schedule. And yeah. if I sit there on my ass and don't do anything for 15 weeks, then I don't graduate for 15 more weeks. And I think it's like, you know, consequences might, you know, I don't know, eventually in a system B, you start having to, in a public education system, have to pay for if you are like beyond your years of graduation that you have, you know, you're supposed to graduate in this time, you didn't do it, therefore you start paying like a fine that you didn't graduate on time. Well, I don't know. Just, so you're I mean, saying well, like, Students aren't going to have the mental capacity to handle that? No, or? I think students aren't given enough responsibility. You, in- well, yeah, no, you're absolutely right, which is, like, one of the big reasons why, uh, and we are we are kind of diverting here, but no, like, and, but the whole adding in more technology and going uh, toward a more online route will facilitate this, mm-hmm. because it's already seen as a thing, like, it's a quantified thing that we see it's why most colleges when you actually do go start paying for school uh if you're a freshman you live on campus because that what because what they've seen is that you're going to be far more successful if you live on campus because in this country the way education is set up for the first 12 years of your educational career you basically don't have any real uh Say you well, you don't have any real say, and there's really no uh, not results, uh, repercussions for your mistakes. Like, sure, you'll graduate a year later, you may have to repeat a year. That's generally speaking about the as worse as it bad as it gets. So, are and you, then so you're are you saying that if, if students get to be able to take classes online sooner in their you know, possibly junior high, <laughs> high school, elementary years, that they'll be more successful in college because they'll be able to set they'll be their able, own schedule? Yeah, or? because that's one of the big that's the big thing we run into because as soon as you're out of that first 12 years, as soon as you're out of the senior year, you're expected to basically just be an adult. We didn't teach you how to do that, but you're on your own so now, we just kid. flip a switch. Yeah, <laughs> and that's not how it works. It does, yeah. you know, what Christina explained or described is definitely more the college environment that I would think... Um, you know, because elementary, middle, high school, they're all supposed to prepare you for college. <laughs> but then they throw you into college where, yeah, you have to set your own schedule. If you don't... The rules completely change. If you yeah. go out and party for 20 minutes, you know, not 20 minutes. <laughs> what what kind of parties have you been going to? <laughs> party. Pri- private school parties. <laughs> if, if you go out and party for so long, um, you know, you don't, you don't pass the class or you don't get a good grade on your test. And you um, wasted thousands of dollars. But then I think, too, it's important um, to look at, you know, there's a current discussion going on um, in the education community about whether or not standardized testing or, you know, like all this just, you have to know this, 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 and this, um, if that's still the best way to educate. Um, I mean, so it, it never was, say. Uh-huh. I, as someone who was in the educational pro, education program to become a teacher for a good while, uh, say basically ev- the resounding opinion from every single educator I spoke to was standardized tests are worthless. We we were wasting our time with them. And I think like everything else in life, you know, both extremes are a problem and the solution is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Maybe having half in class and half online will kind of ease the students and, and give them guidance and still have some structure to it, but then yeah. online... The and, online side gives them some more flexibility yeah. in their schedule. And as they to... as they go up, use that scaffolding that you're doing and give them more freedom as they go along. So when we hit that 12-year mark and you graduate high school and you're on basically on your own... It's not you're, so traumatic. Yeah, you're able to actually deal with that. Yep. Well, and I think just as everything is... Customize. I mean, shoot, you can, like, everything is customizable. I think there's got to be the next step of looking at, in some ways, how education can become more customizable. Because yeah. we talked about history earlier, and I think, <laughs> you know, there's so much information overload that's available to us that on our own time, at any point in our lives, we can learn about any part in the world that 
quite often maybe we either didn't touch on in school or it was a sentence in a book and it never got expanded upon and now we're learning so much more information now the you know the, the gets into the whole can of worms of like what you ought to require but is it a bulleted list of the teacher provides basic overview information to the student on these world historical events but then you know the student is required to hit so many hours of learning and they choose on which historical aspects they go and learn about because if i'm super interested in i don't know like how pyramids in egypt were built then instead of world war ii and that's just boring and confusing to me like why should that be discredited as far as like education um and learn having knowledge um because the other stuff is like accessible on the internet and if i want to learn about it later in life i can especially since and this like it's something we're not really taught that much just how many of these major like earth-changing events across the world happen simultaneously mm-hmm. like for goodness sake just two examples genghis khan during his uh, uh swap like swath of swath of conquering across uh, the continent was fighting samurai on one end and European knights on the other, and also the Civil War and that entire period in the United States was also known as the Victorian era in England. Mm-hmm. And it's not until later on that you make those connections and realize, mm-hmm. oh, these happen simultaneously. That's neat. Yeah. Which I think learning those different things is something technology can bring in to it as well because of all the different ways we have to access historical information through fun <laughs> YouTube videos or um, interactive field trips and things podcasts. like that that can be done. Yeah, <laughs> podcasts that can be done online. I mean, I'm like I mentioned earlier, I've learned more about World War II in my own country from a YouTube series that my husband watches than yeah. I learned in school. Yeah. And we've learned, and in this country, we've learned more about our own history in the 10, 15 years we've been out of school than we ever did in a history class. Well, and again, that's a, you know, you have a time frame issue here. I mean, yeah. You know, you get an hour, but again, you know, like you said, to your point, that if you kind of open it up and take the chains off a little bit and let somebody go explore what's interesting, yeah. then technology could do yeah. that. And mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe the way we need to go is yeah, standardized it, testing. What's a topic you'd like? You know, write a three-page essay on a topic that you like, and yeah. then, you know what and you explored. Actually, expanding on what you two are saying, because I didn't think about it during our first draft. <laughs> uh, uh, follow us on Patreon for the whole story. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> say. But anyway, uh, one of the uh, like we've all like all of us can say at some point in our educational career, we've had some pretty bad teachers. Like, we've had teachers who aren't good at their jobs, they don't actually teach you, they're horrifically biased in one way or the other. And technology, having easy access to that information, is a great equalizer. Because suddenly, you're you're not hamstrung by this teacher who refuses to teach about a certain subject because... They don't, they don't believe in it or they don't teach in a subject because uh, they didn't actually experience anything about it when they were growing up. To your point, like, though, it's easy to have the flip side where you end too. up in an echo chamber that with all these true. algorithms. This is true. That's very, you know, it's, it's, it's like something <laughs> like when you go to a library and you want to learn about cars. You can go into that section of cars and then you look over and there's some you know, book about some other topic, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Whereas the internet has a way of funneling you yeah. and perpetuating you into certain trains yeah. of thought. Yeah, no, know? absolutely. And, like, that's one of the things. Much like being able to proliferate technology and meet the needs of every single student, there are some major uh, changes to the way just our, our, the way the country works to Neset to be able to achieve that. And it's something that'll, like, it's not, like, the issues aren't, you can do one thing, solve that, and then move on to the next. Because they're all interwaste like that. And it's something that we have to work with as we move along. So one of the important things we talked about this semester was our digital citizenship. So with technology being so much more of a prevalent 
thing in the classroom. The internet, social chat rooms, all sorts of things like that. What increases our amount as, like, what are our jobs as teachers, as parents, as students, to help students to understand that cyberbullying is not a good idea? Um, that copywriting somebody else's artwork or their, you know, gift that they made on the internet or you know, stuff like that is um, not the way that we should act on the internet, right? Like being a good citizen of the internet, essentially. Exposure is not valid payment. best teach that to our kids? Um, one of the suggestions I had come up with was, you know, finding neat videos or honestly just sitting down and having a conversation with your kids, right? Like how do you, how do you handle a lot of hot topics, you know, the talk or like bullying in general, you know, kids are able to absorb a lot more information than we think they are. So like just having an honest conversation of like, if you post this on the internet, it is there forever. Um, Privacy, all that Privacy and having that conversation. Now, yes, I think there's fun ways to bring it in, YouTube videos, worksheets, you know, things like that that aren't as scary. But there, you know, what are different ways that we know to to teach kids about that? I'm say I mean like, as I said before in the first draft, say we're say our generation is really in a weird place when it comes to this because expectations of digital citizenship have changed significantly. What we were taught when we when the internet first started becoming a thing ended up changing completely by the time we were actually major majorly inundated in it. I like, think that sets us up to be almost the perfect I mean yeah role but, like guardianship. Like as millennials start having children, yeah. we we have kind of learned the hard way a little bit about, you know, privacy and all that. And I think as millennials take a larger role in legislation and um you know, governance, I think you'll see a major crackdown on these social media websites and, and what they're able to extract from people. Yeah. Uh, like these Google Homes that sit at home and record everything. Um, I think you'll see laws change very quickly. Yeah. And I think our generation being half in the technology and half not is the perfect generation to make a change like that. Say, so, I mean, like, and, I mean, like, jumping off that, like, basically we'd have to be open to it because there's a very good chance that when we're educating trying to educate the newer newer generations about digital citizenship we're going to be learning new stuff that we have no idea about yep. so we have to be able to internalize that sort of thing really quickly to be able to have a a uh, educated opinion on it and be able to disseminate it as like as a universal thing. Well, and like you brought up earlier, Mike, um, the internet provides a nice anonymity to a lot of students and a lot of people. Um, Being avid video gamers, we know how nice (laughs) a lot of the communities can be. And how mean. (laughs) Um, And and it's important, I think, you know, just like everything else, right? It it starts with the way you're educated. If you know (laughs) that something is wrong when you're little, if you're taught you know, that that you don't make fun of little Johnny because he can't shoot something in the video game, you know, like you have to be nice. <sighs> what? Um, it's important. Right. It's just about reinforcement and punishment. Yeah. You know, you just, yeah. Yeah, you never, you never pulled, a different pace. And... You never pulled that stuff uh, when you were in, when you were uh, in person with somebody because then they just choose odd job. But it can still affect a person just as strongly coming from the internet as it can in person. If not even more because kids aren't afraid to say stuff on the internet where that kid on the side is still getting hurt just as much. So recently a Twitch streamer um, committed suicide because of the, they call it trolling, but the harassment that, that anonymity brings and people can say really mean things. And there's actually a, a, uh, a psychologist who goes and talks to Twitch streamers and, and tries to figure out, you know, what it's like to stream and, and, and take these comments from cyberbullies. 
And one of the major things that he brought up that was super interesting that I hadn't really thought about was, you know, when somebody writes something out and you read it in text, you read it in your own voice, mm -hmm. your internal monologue. So you're almost saying it to yourself and it hits way harder that way. Um, I just thought that was really interesting. And I think that too is a lot of, you know, that's something that gets taken away with technology as much as I love text messaging and getting a hold of people is a lot easier. It, you read a message and people don't punctuate when they're typing quickly, right? right? Which again goes back on like using English as a very good, you know, do that so that people might not, um, they can get the wrong idea from what you're saying because they say it how they read it, not necessarily how you mean it. Yeah, and the interpretation can, is mm -hmm. well, lost. And, and like that's a thing like we're starting to see more and more is like even on a intergenerational basis, communication communication by text message is significantly different. Like, I mean, like you're saying, like people in our generation tend not to use punctuation as much. Whereas our parents' generation who are texting, uh, they tend to overuse it. So throwing in something like an ellipses, to them, it's, oh, they're continuing on. For us, it's like, uh, it, it's a sign of like disapproval. This is like, well, instead of like, well, and then continuing on. It's a lo much longer pause for us than it would be for the per people older than us sending it. And the same thing will ring, rings true for the younger, those younger than us. It's a completely different language. And that's I fine. Guess. Language yeah, no, is it, fluid absolutely. and it changes. You know, you read old English and it, it, you yeah. know, it has some similarities, yeah. but it's completely different yeah. and that's okay. Yeah, no, it is. It's just something that like to such an ex accelerated extent nowadays we have, because of how technology has advanced and advanced between generations, we need to be more, we need to be aware of that because of the downsides. Yeah. Because like the comparison between modern English and, uh, old English, like, yeah, they're night and day, but that that's over a course of thousands of years and nobody was changing from old English immediately to new English. It was a gradual thing. Whereas now slang is popping up and then becoming outdated in a matter of weeks. Yeah, the internet speeds everything up. Yeah. But I think if you think about like the culture of influencers, and I do have a point <laughs> here, um, when you think of like the global citizenship responsibility and teaching children on how to behave a certain way or speaking on the topic of things on the internet do live forever, we have had a decade at minimum of that trial and error of millennials who have utilized the internet and some have had that be a good thing and some have had that be a bad thing when you have done something and it's been recorded and it's been shared and i think we ought to give thought on giving platform or sharing information of those people that have had those experiences talk about it yeah. So if somebody said, oh, wow, I made a really, like, I just watched a video today where it was discussing the um, woman, I believe it was in the U.S., or it may have been in, like, Canada, who threw a chair out of a high-rise and got an incredibly minimal sentence um, because, uh, you know, long story short, she could have injured somebody and, like, it was a drunken stupidity thing and, like, the legal repercussions that she got were incredibly minimal. But that information about her is now living on the internet forever yeah. because that was a cut, like, it's recorded. Even if she doesn't own that content, it's on the internet. It's, it's forever. And so, like, that is a quote-unquote bad example. But there's also good examples. Like, Greta Thunberg, Thunberg, is that her last Thunberg? name? Thunberg? I don't know. Like, her activism and certain things that are about her, regardless of what she goes on to do with the rest of her life, that's going to be something that, like, she stood for and it's going to follow her. And so that's a good example. So I think that those people um, that have shared on, you know, shared a good message, I think we just need to amplify as parents or teachers or caregivers the people that have spoken about the topic already yeah. because 
often you know the kid will not give you credibility because, well, you don't have this experience or I don't know anybody who had this positive or negative experience, but maybe when you amplify people that have had these experiences, that might be taken differently. Which, I mean, which like you're saying, that's a major thing with many of, with, well, uh, say, uh, not don't know why I'm trying to tiptoe around this, the Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter movement right now, a big thing of it is uh, the proliferation of information of things that have been happening for years, but it's only due to the uh, advancement of technology and everybody being able to uh, act, being able to record things and access them and upload them to the internet for a public audience that now it's not a case of he said, she said, this authority figure said this, but this person said they said this. Now can, it's on video with yeah. 1080p, it, you know. Yeah, we can actually see, oh, this stuff is happening. And we can see how often it's happening. And we can... Reach millions of people. Yeah. And, then, and, then real, and then further extrapolate and go like, oh, so when these people were saying this was happening back then, it was happening even more. Like, so I just think as, a, as teachers and parents and students, it's important for us to look at and, and help our kids see the positives that can come from socializing in a positive way, right? Making sure to not, um, to hold yourself just as in a professional manner as you would face to face. To have a healthy respect for the internet mm -hmm. and its power and right. the people in it. Yeah. Take, a whole, take a holistic approach to the potential there. Like, and maybe say, that no. will change. Like maybe that, maybe as we're transitioning to live a lot of our lives a lot more online in all aspects, truthfully, maybe there will be a transition in um, how we conduct ourselves and what we, because it used to be a pleasure thing, right? So yeah. like if you come home and you had a horrible day <laughs> and you log on, you want to watch your favorite Twitch streamer and you're just in a crap mood and you want to be an a-hole, you totally can and have the anonymity to do so. But if you, you know, granted there's like privacy things associated with this too, but if, if you are spending your time with and differently and it's not just as a escape, like I think we've used the internet and technology more as an escape than as a tool. Yes. Like I think Same it's been millennials a, like, have, or do you think, I think it's different for kids? I, I, I mean, I think it's different for kids. I think it's... I'm getting way off. Well, no, <laughs> I mean, tangent. no, no, you're my, not. Like, my like, point, I think, is how we behave on online platforms, such as social media, but also in communication in general, can be greatly influenced by whether that's our main medium of communication or it's just something that we come to as a secondary medium and often bring whatever frustrations we might have from yeah. like the in-person interactions into it. Well, yeah. Yeah. And it's like you and Mike both said, like it's, uh, as because we are this liminal generation when it comes to the advancement of technology, uh, like our behavior on the internet is we've been making it up as we go along. Because we have grown up in two completely separate worlds. We've grown up in the world without it, and then we've grown up with it. Whereas kids today, like, as much as, as, much as we may have opinions on them having free and open access to smartphones and tablets at all times. The tablet is the babysitter sometimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but, but then again, the television was for us. Yeah, true. that's true. But, that's true. but like, it's, but uh, specifically with, technology and the internet they're not a liminal generation anymore they've the, the technology has always been there for them like it is part of it an online presence is part of it sure they may not know exactly how much of an online presence they actually have and how permanent it is but none of us knew uh, like our parents didn't really understand uh, uh, the extenuating results of things like smoking or different medications. We sure as heck didn't 
realize, uh, oh, this internet thing, it's going to be a global phenomenon and change the world when we were growing up. Like, it was a neat place to watch videos and see and play Flash games when we were growing up. And kids today, like, they get the the breadth and depth of it to some extent because that's the world they have. And Well, and until I also think because, like, I had shared in that <laughs> one of we are using it differently just because of the types of communication that you have in person. You might not bring that level of vulnerability to it than you do online. Um, The example was, you know, I attended an online conference and in the chat function, you know, the speaker was speaking about um, essentially who are your individual board of directors when you have a decision that you want to make and when you advise who you go to. And one of the participants had made the comment of, you know, I'm really struggling with who those people are for me. And immediately you had participants in the chat of like, hey, like DM me and I'd love to like talk with you more and see why it's so challenging for you to come up with these people. Or I'd love to become that person for you, like make a friendship out of it. And this event was initially supposed to happen in a convention center with 150 plus tables where you sit throughout most of the day at a breakfast table. You would have never had that kind of interaction. No, God, no. Hopefully we answered your question, I see. (laughs) (laughs) Now that we went on a tangent. Well, and I was actually just going to use that as a nice way um, to sort of wrap it up. Um, I think really education and technology and all of these different mediums... um, nowadays are a wonderful tool and an asset to a lot of our education departments in across the United States and hell even across the world Um, because of stuff like what Christine was saying um, we now have more professional collaboration that can happen in an in a world that only exists online you know I can communicate with a teacher um, via the internet from anywhere in the world talk to you know have them talk to my students or ask how they teach this certain subject in Oklahoma or California or Alaska versus how I teach it here um you know Pinterest let you be a more effective teacher right and I really think that that is you know it's our duty as teachers to teach the students in the best way we can and right now that is always ever changing with new technologies that are coming out and it's our duty to also be protective of those kids um, and make sure that they know what they need to do and how they need to go about it and what's the best way to teach them. So Well said. Yeah. Speak, speaking, say, speaking of uh, things that are well said, Mike, have you heard of Blue Apron? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. <laughs>